After the Battle of New York, Earth's mightiest heroes disband, each embarking on their own journey as they become entangled in conflicts that will challenge their old ideologies. Meanwhile, a band of misfits gather together to save the galaxy, all while a mad titan begins his pursuit of the Infinity Stones. Also, Ant-Man's there too. On today's bonus episode, I rank all the movies from the Marvel Cinematic Universe's second phase. I'm your host, Christian Eng, and... That's my cue. Welcome back to our second overall bonus episode. Thank you all so much for such a warm reception on, on the first one. I'm glad that a lot of people came through uh, with a lot of different ideas on what I should do a tier list on next. And so it's a great feeling when you throw out a new idea and see that it sticks with people. And so I'm just I'm just excited. So let's do a little mini recap in case you missed it. Um, basically, what I'll do uh, for these tier list episodes is that I'll take a specific theme, in this case, the Marvel Cinematic Universe's second phase of movies, and grade them from an F to S scale. So think of it like your... Um, school's grading system right so f is going to be at the very bottom s is all the way at the top and so at our f tier we actually don't have a movie sitting in that list so that can always change d tier though we have the first thor movie c we have the incredible hulk b we have iron man 2 and uh, the avengers uh, movie sitting in that category and we also have uh, captain america the first avenger in a tier and finally our only film in s tier is the first Iron Man movie. If you want to know my thoughts on each individual film, I definitely recommend that you check out that first bonus episode as I break each one down. So let's just dive right into it. I'm going to be going in order of release date. So first up, we have uh, Iron Man 3, which sits for me at a B tier. I didn't like it all when it first came out, but a upon a couple rewatches of uh the course of a few years, it became one of those movies that just got better in retrospect for me. Uh, for me, it uh, takes Tony's character arc and points it towards the direction of wanting to obsessively protect the people that he cares about, and uh, that often guides his journey um, throughout the rest of the course of the MCU. It also explores what Captain America says to Iron Man in the first Avengers film, where he questions what Tony Stark would be if you just remove the suit of armor away from him. And I think that is the perfect direction to take this um, end to his trilogy, if you will. Uh, it also kind of followed the trope of taking the superhero's powers, quote-unquote, or their suit away from them um, and explores who they are as a character. You see this in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2 or The Dark Knight Rises. And I feel like this trope can be a little tiresome, but for Iron Man 3, like I said with that Captain America quote, I feel like it showcases Tony's ingenuity and uh, his quick thinking on his feet. And by doing so, you're diving into his character traits, uh, both flaws and all, uh, a little more in-depth, and, and I think it does it uh, a little better than others. However, uh, I, I wasn't a big fan of the villain twist. I, I think that was the most disappointing aspect of the movie. And, you know, it. I in retrospect, I think it's okay now, but... It, it doesn't become a problem uh, as you, you know, gradually accept it for what it is. But in theaters, when it first happened, it just became kind of uh, a little upsetting and a little 
Um, underwhelming was what we got instead. I know that the argument in favor of the Mandarin twist was that magic hadn't been properly introduced yet into the MCU, so it wouldn't make sense to do so with Iron Man 3. But I think, on the contrary, that's exactly what would have been the most compelling for Tony's arc. If you consider his PTSD in which he's already uh, you know, grappling with the reality of almost dying and this whole new world um, that suddenly became shaped by the re uh, the revelation of aliens and you know gods you know tony's a man of science so a man wielding magic and transcendence of any sort of uh traditional uh you know um logic uh that's grounded in what tony perceived as his reality this would have been a perfect foil to his character to put him uh, uh against uh, and I know that Thor's introduction already introduces the possibility of magic that becomes, you know, explained in the second movie that it writes it off as some sort of uh, different use of science applications or whatever mumbo jumbo. I, I think that since Iron Man 3 comes out before Thor The Dark World, um, I think the latter definitely adds extra contextualization to what would have been a nice uh, inclusion of a traditional um you know, Mandarin versus Iron Man kind of fight. Of course, you know, the MCU has shown that they're capable of updating the origins of characters, uh, both uh, good and bad. Uh, and I still think that they can that they could have done so to remove any of the offensive character flaws that uh, was tied to the Mandarin, including like, you know, um, the racist depiction of, you know, Fu Manchu tropes and all that sort of uh, problematic stuff. But... Um, I think what we got instead was, you know, a, a missed opportunity. However, I do think that it was smart to cast Ben Kingsley uh, as I think that he's like a fantastic, charismatic actor to juxtapose against Robert Downey Jr. Uh, but when you switch it up to reveal that Guy Pierce is the main villain, spoilers, I mean, I should have put that at the top of the, <laughs> of the show. But uh, if you don't know already, Guy Pierce is the main villain and... On the other hand, he's fine, and I like him in other films, but his character in this movie is just forgettable, and I think that's a lot of, uh, a lot of the issues that the MCU had with its villains back then. Uh, the movie also, you know, still maintains that same bland, made-for-TV looking cinematography that was plaguing the first Avengers film, uh, and that and I, th I really think that the transition from film to, you know, digital media didn't really shift well until I would say maybe even Thor The Dark World uh, where uh, it gets slightly better. Uh, still, Iron Man 3 is a movie worth rewatching uh, once you understand where Tony's arc is going to head. Um, and as an end to the Iron Man trilogy, it's not bad. Like I said, just underwhelming. Up next, we have Thor The Dark World, and I'm going to give it a straight-up F tier. I'm not going to spend too much time on this boring, forgettable movie, y'all. The villain? Who cares? Who cares about this villain? Dark Elves? I, I couldn't even tell you why they wanted what they wanted in this movie and, or, or what their basic motivations are. Um, it... This movie was so mind-numbingly dull. Uh, aside from, you know, involving an Infinity Stone as, like, a, as a plot device... Uh, this movie just feels like a chore to finish. It has terrible CGI, poor use of green screen, and Loki barely makes this watchable as it feels like he's carrying the whole movie on his back. You couldn't get me to care about 
the worst movie in the MCU. And um, I feel like, you know, Marvel had to pretty much pivot away from, uh, you know, where Thor movies were going at this point. And, you know, with um, Thor Ragnarok and with the upcoming Thor movie uh, on its way, you can definitely tell it's a big tonal shift from where those first two movies are. Oh, boy. All right. Up next, we have Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And this is a straight up S tier, y'all. Now, talk about a palate cleanser once you're coming out of Thor The Dark World. Uh, this is a great follow-up to the first Captain America film, and the Winter Soldier acknowledges the one key flaw about uh, the Captain America character as a whole. And that's through uh, his um, never-changing morals, if you will. Um, that can often make for a boring character, in my opinion, and on paper, uh, they wouldn't grow or develop beyond, you know, where they are. Think of your, you know, Superman character. They're this Boy Scout character that just, you know, is very one note and doesn't really change. But I feel like the, the Winter Soldier takes that personality trait and actively cha uh, challenges it against the theme of corruption within government systems, and it asks whether or not Captain America's loyalties are to the agencies he works for or for the idealism that he chooses to uphold, right? And uh, it's a great action thriller that is perfect even for those that aren't into superhero movies. Um, and I, I know my dad's uh, the perfect example. He doesn't like superhero movies because they tend to be a little over the top in uh, the way they deliver their action. But I feel like uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier has great boots on the ground, um, very... Uh, you know, kinetic uh, fight, fighting sequences that really don't use too much CGI until the third act. Uh, yet, uh, it, you know, I think that this uh, Captain America movie is a great blend of action espionage films, and it uh, offers plenty of things to say about, you know, um, what it means to live under a surveillance state and whether or not our country has room for, you know, uh, Steve Rogers' old school beliefs or whether or not he needs to actually change with the times. I feel like this film uh, has huge ramifications for the rest of the MCU, and uh, I don't really see a lot of uh, solo films, um, at least within this phase and, and the phase before it, having that big of an impact. Captain America the Winter Soldier absolutely holds up to this day and shows why it often sits at the top of everyone's lists. And so that's the first half of Phase 2. Uh, when we come back from the break, we'll dive in a little more of uh, the rest of the films as well as uh, my final thoughts on the MCU's second phase as a whole. So put that magic space hammer down, we'll be back. Ooh child, things are gonna get easier. Welcome back from the ad break. Let's dive right into the second half of phase two. Up next we have Guardians of the Galaxy and that is a straight up S tier. What a fantastic way to introduce what would have otherwise been D-list characters. And what I like about it is that the film knows this. It doesn't take itself too seriously, and it acknowledges that its main characters are essentially these nobodies who are destined to become more than that. The writing is pretty hilarious and offers a lot of nice character beats that lend themselves to sweet, dramatic moments. So when people think of the MCU these days, it's often the humor that's a key characteristic of the, of the overall franchise. But for me, I feel like the humor established in Guardians of the Galaxy is what set the tone and trend for uh, you know many of the films that come after it. But 
That's not to say that it doesn't have its flaws too. The uh, the villain tends to be on the weaker end of things, as with many of the villains had been in the MCU up to this point. But it doesn't really like drag the movie down per se. Still, I think that the Guardians of the Galaxy showed how the MCU can take characters that nobody cared or knew about and made them into household names to the point that it's hard to think of a pop culture without the catchphrase, I am Groot, right? So yeah, S tier definitely deserves that. Uh, up next, we have Avengers Age of Ultron B tier. Compared to the last big Avengers movie, I'd say that, you know, Age of Ultron slightly approves upon it. Uh, the writing, however, is still the weakest aspect, as much of the dialogue becomes even more devoted to delivering the occasional joke here and there. And like I mentioned with many of the previous MCU films in this list, uh, it gradually becomes a better film to rewatch in context with what would come after. The plot is decent, and I think that Ultron as a villain isn't too bad. James Spader really nails this eerie wit and sarcasm to his performance. But at the same time, when it came out, it seemed like the MCU would only reference specific key events um, after it and would rarely touch on anything else. But, you know, with... Uh, Recent releases like WandaVision, it really dove into this film a lot more than I had expected. Uh, but Age of Ultron does uh, everything well to progress the storylines that was set from a lot of the uh, solo Phase 2 films. Uh, and it focuses on setting up where these characters may end up going to, I would say, varying degrees. While it may not be everyone's favorite Avengers film, it certainly has a lasting impact by, you know, setting up new key plot points and villains in the future. So... It's a it's a good B tier. It's a good entertaining movie, regardless. But uh, Ant Man gonna have to be a strong C tier as a follow up to you know Avengers: Age of Ultron and as an endpoint for the MCU's second phase. I don't know. Ant Man feels pretty pretty underwhelming in that regard. As a solo film, it's fine. It establishes Scott Lang as a character and you know has a lot of nice Easter eggs for you to pick out, but it doesn't really extend itself beyond your run-of-the-mill origin story it does tease at some things that we'll touch on later on in phase three and four but you know um yeah ant-man was just an okay movie paul rudd is great and is extremely likable michael douglas and evangeline lily are just as entertaining to watch but yeah ant-man doesn't do too much to make an effort to stand out but uh yeah that's pretty much phase two my thoughts on it are uh, that a lot of uh, the Phase 2 films are uh, pretty much self-contained stories for the most part. And with a focus on seeing where these characters are going in a world that changed for them overnight with the first Avengers movie, you can see that the DNA of the MCU really begins to form its identity in these films. And that the uh, interconnected nature really becomes an underlying feature. No longer do they feel like separate individual pieces, but they feel like a serialized form of cinematic storytelling where you sort of have this underlying thought of, well, where are the other Avengers in this plot? And how does this connect to the overarching, uh, overarching plot? That was kind of a weird word to say. I normally am able to say that word, but for whatever reason, I beefed it up. I'm not cutting that out. I'm too lazy. To a degree, however, I think that, you know, uh, Phase 2 really an tries answering that question. And for the most part, it tries to keep, you know, each story encapsulated to its own devices but over time 
you'd see that the subsequent films tend to hit the mark on this formula a little better. And Phase 2 acts as a great intermission to the real meat and potatoes of the story that we'll come to see in Phases 3 and 4. So, can't wait to talk about that. I'll probably break it down a little more closer to the What If series on Disney+, and uh, maybe even around the time of Hawkeye and, uh, and all that jazz. But... If you want to send your feedback on this episode, as well as suggestions on what uh, tier list rankings I should do next, feel free to hit me up on Instagram at That's My Q Podcast or on Twitter at Q Podcast. I also want to thank J1K for the use of their music, No Flowers, from the Vault Volume 3 Beat Tape, which you can find on j1kmusic.bandcamp.com. And as always, I want to leave you off with a final quote, which I'm going to borrow from Iron Man 3. Things are different now. I have to protect the one thing that I can't live without. That's you. I'm your host, Christian Ng, and... That's my cue. <laughs>